If you have somebody right now who obviously is just hearing this for the first time, what do you recommend they do as this next step? They have a trust they did a year and a half ago. Schedule an appointment to come in and visit with you at that stage in the game. Is everything thrown away and restarted? Is that kind of because you've come from a different perspective, so everything starts over again? Thank you for asking. So anybody who had a trust done before 2020 should have it reviewed to determine whether it's still a good idea to have certain provisions in it. And with a trust, we don't need to start over most of the time. If the trust is still good and it still says what people want for the most part, we can pull out those other provisions. It's called make an amendment and put in the new provisions that are necessary. And that's what I did with my own trust. And what we're doing now on a daily basis is we have people coming in for what we call retirement review analysis, where we're just taking that part out that didn't work and putting in the new part that does work. just a regular gym routine. When was the last time you checked on your financial fitness? If you're feeling like you're falling behind, Ed Sedell is here to help with The Retirement Trainer, a podcast about helping you get into better financial shape. Every week, Ed talks about things you need to know to become more financially fit for your future. Learn about things like how much money will you need, financial mistakes other people often make, and how you can avoid them. Plus, details on The Retirement Fitness Plan, a plan Ed personally created to help you get to and through retirement by focusing on five key areas of your financial life. Learn more about the retirement fitness plan when you visit egsifinancial.com and click on processes. Then subscribe, follow, and listen to The Retirement Trainer on Apple Podcasts, your iHeart app, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. It's The Retirement Trainer with Ed Sedell, a podcast about helping you find ways to become financially fit no matter what shape you're in now. Today's show, we're going to talk, as we did a little bit the last show, about the SECURE Act, and we have the privilege of having Logan Phillips joining Ed and I today. Hi, Ed. Hi, Logan. Hey, Leanne. Logan, welcome. Thanks for for joining us. Absolutely. We wanted to have you back on. You know, obviously, you know, last year, a couple uh, episodes ago, we we had you on about talking uh, with regards to legacy planning. But as of January 1st, the SECURE Act was passed, and you and I, we've been talking to our clients about it and because it is a big deal. So we thought it was important to have you on from an estate planning attorney standpoint, you know, and your perspective, the impact that it has on, well, on everyone. So why is it important and what, what's it mean to all of us? Oh, well, thanks, Ed. Always great to be here. The thing that the SECURE Act did was really change retirement planning for people. Um, mm-hmm. I like to tell people that it uh, it benefited individuals who are saving for retirement. It kind of hurt the individuals who they plan to leave their retirement to. So the SECURE mm-hmm. Act can be kind of bifurcated into people who are saving for retirement, people who are going to be starting retirement, and then those who are going to inherit uh, what's left over. And okay. what I like to point out to people is it was a big deal in that for those individuals who are saving for retirement, your clients, or people who should be your clients, they get to save for another year and a half. 
Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. Even more than that, I think you're going to correct me, is they get to save even longer than a year and a half, but they don't have to start taking those required minimum distributions for a year. Right. So right. under the old law, 70 and a half, you have to start taking money out of uh, what most people call their nest egg. And they start taking money out and watching that savings gets depleted and pay tax on it. Well, now they get to save for another year and a half before they have to start taking money out of that nest egg, which is a big deal when you consider how big retirement plans are. A year and a half of of savings and growing tax-free is a big deal. Would you agree? Yeah, and and that's kind of the bone that Uncle Sam gave us, right? Because they took some other things away, but that's kind of how they made up for it, right? They gave us that extra 18 months of planning that we can do to benefit our clients, right? Right. And so those people who who may have been not working with a financial planner are thinking 70 and a half, 70 and a half, 70 and a half. That's what I need. I know I'm going to have to start. So they, they probably want to come in and talk to you to say, okay, does this extra year and a half change things? Because I think it does. Um, right. And then you, you're going to correct me too, if I'm wrong here, is they can, people can continue to save much right. later, right? That's, that's the big difference. Yes. As, as long as they're working in, in generating uh, income, you know, they, they can then defer it into uh, an IRA or, or hopefully a Roth. So to right. think about that for many of my clients who come in, they come to see me, mm-hmm. they're, they're retirement planning. And then they say, oh, we need to do estate planning. This is a big deal for them. First, they get right. to save past the age of 70 and a half and they don't have to start taking from that savings at 70 and a half and i'm not the kind of guy who can help them plan for that but i know that your team at egsi are the other part of the secure act was what happens after the account holder dies um it used to be that beneficiaries of those accounts got a really really great break and that break was something called the stretch the stretch ira Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, let's suppose that a um, a person with an IRA, $100,000 in an IRA with four children, four adult children, dies and has $100,000 in that IRA. In 2019, if that person had died, those four kids would inherit $25,000 a piece. Mm-hmm. That would be in an IRA. And as we all know, IRAs grow tax-free. So those four kids were going to have to take out a very, very small amount of that $25,000 each and every year, something called a required minimum distribution. And what that meant then was the rest of that $25,000 was going to continue to grow tax-free over the course of their lifetime. So imagine that. A Tax-deferred. Tax-deferred. Excuse me. Tax-deferred. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so imagine that a 40 year old inherits mom's IRA, $25,000. The IRS said, okay, 40 year old over the next 80 years, you have to take out a small amount, a required minimum distribution Mm -hmm. and leave the rest in there. And that can grow over and over all those years. Okay. Taking out a small amount every year so that in that IRA inherited IRA. And so what happened though was, and we the, the federal government said we can't wait that long. We can't wait that long for that tax uh, they, income they tax said we want our money. on those small RMDs. Mm-hmm. They want our money now, and so they said, kids, th- those four kids, you no longer can stretch it over your lifetime. You have to take that money out of that IRA. That tax deferred growth has to end within ten years. 
Now, from one spouse to the other, it's still the same thing. It, it, when one spouse passes away and, and they leave that to the other spouse, it becomes theirs. So this is only affected for from non-spousal beneficiaries, correct? Correct. Non-spousal beneficiaries are not impacted. Beneficiaries within 10 years of uh, the account holder. So if the account holder uh, was 70 and the beneficiary was 65, they're not going to have the 10-year time period. Mm -hmm. People with special needs, disabled individuals don't have the 10-year period. And minor children don't either. Their 10-year window or their clock, the clock starts ticking at their 18th birthday. Is it 18 or 21? In Ohio, the age of majority is 18. That's what I understand it to be, or when they're through with college. Okay. You might know that better than me. You, you, you can check that. I'm sorry about that. Let me no, look. No, no, no. That's all right. That's all right. So now they have to shrink it down to, to a 10-year period. And especially, you know, like with a lot of our clients, you know, that, that was a big strategy was, you know, leaving it to your kids and so that they could stretch it out. And then even, you know, generation skipping, you know, leaving it to the grandkids and, and the great-grandkids. So, so what's the impact on that? So you're saying that if it goes to the trust and it's they're a minor child and they're 11, they can stretch it out or amortize it as if it were over their entire life until they hit the age of 18. And then from 18 until 28, they have to take out the balance? That's correct. Okay. And those trusts need to be drafted in a certain way. So let me come back to that. I just looked at my notes. So it's the age of majority for whatever state you're in. So in most okay. states, that's 18. Some states, it would be 21. Okay. In Ohio, it's 18. So the way this impacted us, your question was, was right on, was when we had clients who wanted to provide their children with the asset protection of a trust, and they left their IRAs to it, we wanted to mirror and allow for that stretch provision to continue in the trust. So we had something in there called a conduit provision that allowed for that stretch. That's just a simple way to say, hey, I want to leave it to the trust, but I don't want to have my kids be penalized for it. So we're going to have that right. stretch. So what was good in 2019 and the last 20 or 30 years before that turned bad in 2020. So for those individuals out there that have their, they've gone to an estate planning attorney and they have a trust and they're leaving mm -hmm. their IRA to that trust, they need to get those trusts looked at because they probably have conduit provisions in it which is mm -hmm. going to put more money in their kids' hands than they want to. Right. And I did that for myself. So my trust was one that had to be changed because I wanted to take advantage of the old law when it was the old law. Now the new law came along and I had to amend my trust because my kids were going to get too much money too quickly. So Logan, the way I understand it, even if they just did something, a trust with you last October, they still need to come in more than likely, and get that updated because there's going to need to be some changes made to that for this new law change. Correct, Leanne. And so what's interesting is an attorney who was doing the right thing on December 31st of <laughs> 2019 right. is, would be doing the wrong thing on January 1, 2020. So yes, any trust that was done in 2019 needs to be looked at to determine whether those conduit provisions are in it. And if they are, those need to be amended. So, in, in so fact, our, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, go ahead. Our estate planning software that we use has a warning now that if you answer a question a certain way, a red light comes up, okay? It was the opposite before January 1st. 
Before January 1st, if you hit the button one way, it said, are you sure? Now, if you hit the button that same way, it says, are you sure? And for that reason. So so what are, are there any tax implications? So let's just say that, you know, that conduit provision uh, that you were talking about in in order to, um, if you don't want to leave your, your kids uh, six figures each and every year, let's just, cause it, you know, it nowadays it's not that hard to, to have 500,000 or a million dollars pre-tax in an IRA. And this really not, only affects. Not, not if they're working with you. It is. For some <laughs> <laughs> but this really only applies to pre-tax investments, not Roth investments, correct? Right. So we're seeing a lot of people, we think Roth conversion is going to be a big deal for right. people. We think that life insurance, an, another reason to buy life insurance, I don't know who their lobby is, but they yeah. do a nice job. <laughs> you know. So what you do is you sit down with you, and I'm sure you're doing this, you figure out what the tax burden is on the kids, and then you buy life insurance to make that up. And life insurance remains to be a tax-free vehicle, which is it really is just an incredible way to leave money yeah. to those future generations tax-free. Yeah, to be able to transfer that wealth for sure. So how in the trust, you know, if you're doing the trust planning and, you know, they want to pass this on to their kids and, you know, they don't want to leave them, whatever it is, you know, 50000 a year or $100,000 a year each year for the next 10 years, because as you know, kids, they're going to be driving really nice new cars every year. So how can you, using the tools that you have, how can you prevent that from happening? And are there any tax implications? Thanks. So the answer is yes, we can do it. And yes, there are tax implications. Okay. So for much of what we talk about is that control comes at a cost. And so the way that we, you stop this money flowing outright to the kids, which is what the conduit provision does, the conduit provision says, give the money to the kids. And it was necessary. Instead, what we're saying is let's give the trustee the ability to decide, do we keep the money in the trust protected or do we give it to the kids? Okay. If we give it to the kids, and when I say give it to the kids, that means you could give it to them cash or you could spend it on them. So make a distribution by purchasing something in kind, pay for a vacation, pay for school, pay for clothes. If it's distributed to the kids, it becomes taxable to the kids, which is a lower tax bracket than what maintaining that money is in the trust. Okay, So let me give you an example. So by giving the trustee discretion, let's suppose that you have the story of two kids. I don't know whether you guys are familiar with Highlights Magazine, but there were these two kids, Goofy Galliant. One, Goofus was always doing the wrong thing. Galliant was always doing the right thing. And whenever we screwed up as kids, my mom would always say, don't be a Goofus. Um, <laughs> that rings true. But imagine you have Goofus and Galliant. So Goofus and Galliant, under the old plan, were each going to get a small amount of money. So Galliant was going to save it. Goofus was going to do something silly with it. But it was only a small amount. Under the new law, if you don't change those conduit provisions, Goofus is going to be getting a bunch. And that's a bad thing. So Mm -hmm. we're changing it and saying, trustee, you take a, you have the decision to either give it to Goofus or keep it in the trust. So let's suppose that Goofus is living right. We're going to go ahead and distribute that money to him. Okay. And when I say distribute the money to him, we're going to take the money that has to come out over 10 years and we're going to buy him a car, right? We're not going to give him cash because he might be living right, but he ain't living that right. So we're going (laughs) to give it, buy him a car. That reduces the tax burden on the trust. Goofus is now responsible for that $30,000 on his tax return, which is a lower rate. But let's suppose that he's filed for bankruptcy 
or he's being sued. Okay. And there's a, there's a garnishment on all those things and they're coming in to take away all of his stuff. Mm. We don't want to buy him a car. We certainly don't want to give him cash. So the trustee saves the money in the trust because even though it'll be a higher tax rate, 70% of something is better than nothing of a bunch. And right. that's what would happen if we distribute it out to them. So that the discretion of the trust allows for us to take care of that goofus. Okay. Now, what's interesting is Galleon, on the other hand, is probably going to say to the trustee, look, I want you to give it to me and I'm going to take it and I'm going to invest it into, maybe I'm going to use a Roth IRA. As long as I have mm -hmm. uh, income, I can use that to invest in my own Roth IRA. I'm going to do some other things with it. I'm going to take it and I'm going to pay the tax and use it for what mom and dad wanted me to, which was take the, game, the grandkids to on a cruise. But it'll be the trustee who makes that choice. And it can be up to Goofus to talk to the trustee, try to talk him out of it. Won't be able to because we picked the right trustee or Galleon, who the trustee says, look, man, you're doing the right thing. It's yours. So that decision that the trustee makes, that's that's on an annual basis, right? So every year for 10 years, they make that choice. Well, so actually, they don't have to make it uh, great, great clarification. I love your questions that you, you make sure that I say everything right. It's like, you know, <laughs> so it doesn't have to happen every year. So it's at the end of 10 years. So the trustee could say, I'm not going to distribute any money out of this trust for the first nine years. And maybe that's the reason to do that. But at the end of the 10th, it all has to come out. Okay. Gotcha. For, and so that's where people need to, and this is the folks who, when you're talking about doing multi-generation planning, this is where when your clients pass away and their kids inherit it, they need to come in and talk to you because- you know, maybe we don't take it out or we front load it. Okay. So you're a resident right now. Okay. You're a resident in medical school or you've graduated medical. You're a resident. You're not making anything. So we okay. do want to take that money out and get it to you now, because if we wait for the 10th year and you're now a neurosurgeon, it hits you even harder or the, or the opposite is true. Hey, you got a 90 year old person. They died. Their kids close to retirement. Hey, don't take it out while you're working. Let's wait till your income goes low and then we take it out. So we have that 10 year window to play with. So it doesn't have to be annually, just has to come out by absolutely by the 10th year. So the trust, so if it's going to the trust each and every year, let's just say for the first nine years, there's no taxes that have to be paid on that until that ninth year or going into the 10th year. No, so, it, so yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So it stays in the IRA until the 10th year, no taxes paid. Then it comes out of the IRA to be distributed to the beneficiary or kept in the trust. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, it's. I'm glad it does to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that is funny well, because I, I it, it is confusing, isn't it, Leanne? Yeah, I attempt to relate everything to, you know, my mom, relate everything to what will my mom understand? And I've been coming from her perspective this entire time. I think you've done a good job explaining kind of how that's going to relate to them specifically. So good job. Good well, job. Thanks. You know, it's one of those yeah. things where I, I do this a lot. You know, this might be the kind of thing that people want to play over twice or they're hitting that uh, that 15 second button again. What did he say again? And hitting that <laughs> well, again, that's and the beauty of these podcasts. That's what I'm going to bring you as we 
come to a close here, I kind of want to, the next step, if you have somebody right now who obviously is just hearing this for the first time, what do you recommend they do as this next step? They have a trust they did a year and a half ago, schedule an appointment to come in and visit with you at that stage in the game. Is everything thrown away and restarted? Is that kind of because you come from a different perspective? So everything starts over again as far no, as... Thank you for asking. So anybody who had a trust done before 2020 should have it reviewed to determine whether it's still a good idea to have certain provisions in it. And with a trust, we don't need to start over most of the time. If the trust is still good and it still says what people want for the most part, we can pull out those other provisions. It's called make an amendment and put in the new provisions that are necessary. And that's what I did with my own trust. And what we're doing now on a daily basis is we have people coming in for what we call retirement review analysis, where mm -hmm. we're just taking that part out that didn't work and putting in the new part that does work. Well, that's well, awesome. Go ahead, Leanne. I was just going to say, well, before we get too far away from that, how do people get a hold of you, Logan? So uh, you can go to my website, rrpg-law.com. That's where you'll get to see uh, what we do. And uh, my uh, two law partners, Bill Root and Derek Graham. Uh, we also have another attorney of counsel, Melissa Feldman. And all we do is estate planning. We work with families to make sure that uh, they control their property while they're alive and give what they want to who they want, when they want, without probate court. That's our job all day, every day. They can also call Peggy, who's our fabulous scheduler, at 760-1801. That's 614-760-1801. That's great. Well, and one last thing I, I do want to say is that uh, special needs, I mean, that is actually a big part of your practice too, right? Yes. Helping those so, individuals with with special needs and, and protecting those assets. It is. so. Much of my practice is helping families with children with special needs. That's why they come in the door. It just mm -hmm. so happens that people with children with special needs have uh, come from all different walks of life. Right. So I get to do all kinds of planning, but it just it really centers around that special individual, that child who is who has unique needs that we need to plan for with trust and other things. But then we build around that, and the Secure Act impacts those clients as well as everybody else. Fantastic. Logan, again, I appreciate you coming on the podcast here and giving your knowledge. And look, again, I'm just going to give you a shout out. Anybody who has questions, just give Logan a holler. Hey, thanks, thanks again, so much. Logan. All right. Take care. Right. Bye. And not to focus back a little bit, we're going to pull back. If you guys need to reach Ed, if you have any questions on kind of where we come from the financial planning perspective, give us a call at 614-526-4118, or you can visit our website at www.egsifinancial.com. Thank you guys for coming in, and I appreciate all the time. Awesome. Thanks. you tested your fitness level, not your workout routine. I'm talking about your financial endurance because if saving to a 401k is the extent of your effort, it is time for you to start shaping up. And Ed Sedell is here to help you do that with the Retirement Trainer. It's his podcast to help you examine your financial stamina and learn the questions you should be asking and areas to focus on to help you get to that place you've been working so hard for, a happy, comfortable retirement. And it's not as hard as some might have made you believe. Ed's broken it down 
down into five simple steps. It's the retirement fitness plan, which he personally created to help clarify key areas of your financial life. Learn more about the retirement fitness plan at egsifinancial.com. Then subscribe, follow, and listen to the retirement trainer on Apple Podcasts, your iHeart app, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Investment advisory services offered through EGSI Investment Management, DBA EGSI Financial Group, a registered investment advisor. Insurance and annuities offered through EGSI Financial Services, Inc., Ohio license number 1020619. 